0: Hey, welcome to the ABM Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Arun Gopalaswamy. Today, I'm joined by Amy Poole from Flu Marketing, a Dubai-based marketing agency that focuses on B2B marketing. In this episode, Amy shares her insights on working with Middle Eastern clients and the ABM strategies they use to help them grow their businesses. We also discussed her views on generative AI, ChatGPT, GPT, event marketing, among other things. So tune in and enjoy. Good morning, Amy. Welcome to the ABM Voice Podcast. Super thrilled to talking to you today to understand your B2B journey, your experience in the Middle East and helping clients and executing their B2B as well as ABM programs, right? So let's just get started with an intro from yourself.
1: Sure. Thank you very much for inviting me. My name is Amy Paul. I am the Managing Director of Flume Marketing, Flume On and Conversely. It's actually three companies that I run in here across the global region, but why I'm based in Dubai uh, and predominantly we focus on marketing and sales
0: generation. Excellent. Since you're based out of Dubai, so I am keen to understand the cultural aspects of that region vis-a-vis your experience with Europe or other Western countries, right? And and I wanted to understand how it sort of affects how you design your marketing programs and how the audience responds to it. Like, if you could just throw some light on that.
1: Sure. Um, And it's very, it's a good question, actually, because we get this a lot with our clients who are international. So the majority of clients that we work with are headquartered in the US or you know somewhere else from here. and they believe that they can come into the region with the similar kind of approaches as the Western side. and the that I would say within the Middle East it is it is very different. Um, you can bring in certain aspects, but within the Middle East culture, Um, There is a lot of, it's a lot more of a relationship building. Um, So facts, figures, you know, just mass entry into the region doesn't really work. Uh, The the big difference here is that it's a lot more personal, there's a lot more nurturing that goes on, and it's based very solely around respect um, and trust. To, to build those relationships, which I know is in the rest of the world also. Um, but in, in this bubble of the Middle East, which it very much is, we have to tailor a lot of the international campaigns that we're asked to work on with regional um, and even industry-specific content, which helps.
0: Presumably mm. the time that takes to close a deal also would be comparatively longer, right? For the aspects that you just talked about, I suppose.
1: I, w- I would say so, yes. Um, it, it depends on the the salespeople, for a start, and if they were brand new to the region, is there a re- relationship? Uh, I mean, we're, we are predominantly within the tech industry from the mm. past. However, you know, you would have a lot of people who are moving from one business to another. So you might already know them from one company, they've moved to another, so the relationship carries. Right. So the sales cycle might be a lot quicker. However, if it was a brand new relationship, brand new products, yes, Absolutely, you you could be looking at a nine to an eighteen months sales cycle, which, when you're working in quarters and targets in a high-paced environment that there is now, mm. um, it, it, it's, it's an incredible amount of stress on the sales team. And this is why, as a marketing agency, and just in marketing in general, we have to design campaigns that support that journey with the sales teams and lead generation. Also, you know, a lot of within the Middle East market for sure, if they aren't mm-hmm. an entity based here or they they don't have a whole office based here, they might have a very small sales team delivering the area. and they don't have time to nurture leads. And that's why we would have campaigns that are running to do, you know, the the eight months of relationship nurturing before they've passed the sales team to do the do the final hurdle to get the sale and, and relationship signed off. Right. I understand.
0: Uh, I know there's a lot of faction in the Middle East, especially in Dubai, right? I, I'm keen to understand like What sort of innovation, especially in the marketing side of things that's happening and what specific industries are actually the front runners, right? Do you have any perspective on that? Where do you see you working with kind of customers that you work with?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we, we are... You know we're working with cybersecurity companies we're working with tech and data companies and, and i'll be honest with you these these are industries that are at the forefront of the market mm-hmm. um but very close behind you've got healthcare aviation in this region is very big the likes of emirates and etihad you know they are bringing on massively new products and ways of working um oil and gas and actually the utility side here also has, has a big part and I just say you know it can be very industry specific here mm-hmm. and I wouldn't say that one owns the market all the time um, it does actually fluctuate you know so one year I mean definitely after what's just happened for, for 2019 for example aviation that dropped um, whereas digital and tech went a lot higher for the last three years Um, it's skyrocketing. They did the the conversion and how quick we've had to adapt our technologies Mm -hmm. Uh, within businesses and all the industries and as a whole um, is is very very invested in here. I mean Saudi Arabia are investing billions of dollars to create new infrastructures to draw in different crowds. You know, it's it isn't just about single industries here now. It's going more for the people and how they can retain those people here.
0: and and specifically the digital product products right are they designed specifically for that region or is it like it's taken out from let's say the western markets and uh, repurposed uh, what's your view on it right is it like a middle eastern first kind of products which are emerging a lot
1: no I, no, not anymore i think um i think it used to but now I, I you know what's happened in in the world even the regions have changed you know I, i'm speaking to salespeople people who used to be emir and now emir has gone to methser and emitser and and actually everything is global now you know because of the technology advances that there's been mm-hmm. you don't really have any regionally specific things because you can sit and deal with the world from from one location and um, so i think it's very very important and it's been proved to be important that things need to be universal now it doesn't you don't want a pin, pigeonhole you don't want to outcast markets. You want to make sure that you might need to adapt because of, uh, you know, terrains or or what actually the market landscape's like. But your baseline needs to be a universal global approach. And I would say in Dubai, especially, and well, Dubai, Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia, Mm -hmm. they are investing in the technology and AI specifically Mm -hmm. that can be walled out over the world. And, and some of the world may, t- may take time to, to start investing and incorporating this technology, but it's definitely not going to need to be developed further for a different region, which I think is is actually fantastic. So it's already been designed at its top and it's just waiting for the rest of the world to catch up which is, uh, is is an exciting time to be honest and it's great to be around
0: awesome i wanted to switch gears and talk a little bit more on abm this podcast is all about that right what's the awareness level of your clients right or prospects towards abm and then how do you introduce the concept to them how do you pitch abm how do you educate about abm to your clients
1: it's it's been an interesting one actually i you know for the last few years and i'd say four years abm has been very much a, a buzzword right. um with a few of our clients uh, or maybe or not even just our clients just generally we will get many uh conversations i need to be doing abm mm-hmm. they they've no idea mm-hmm. really what it is and actually what uh, abm was coined 10 15 years ago by a particular company and it's The account-based marketing now is a strategy that we've always really used within our clients. So it's not a lack of understanding. It's just a relabel and a a rejig of what that is, you know, it's, it's target account lists, it's target audience criteria. Either way, it is, it is targeting individuals that you want to do business with. So no longer is it just a billboard that you hope one of 5,000 are gonna buy when they walk past it. You are tailoring your content, you are tailoring your marketing, and you are tailoring your sa- sales pitches to an account base. But even that now has become a broad umbrella because we'll go down to target based, you will go down to industry-based, you will go down to persona-based, and you'll go down to solution-based. So I think for now our clients are a lot more educated or it's just about changing the context of what they already know right. um, to be under these new buzzwords that are around. But for us, account-based and target account lists is is key to their approach. You know, mm. it's they don't have big budgets to hope something happens and mm-hmm. um, they want to really and it, it's a quantity it's a quality over quantity and I'll always always um, put that in any proposal that I speak to my clients about once I know what their ROI is so if you say to me I need to hit this as a target then we will work backwards from that to say well that means you need to get this many and some of the target accounts that you're talking about will never get that so let's remove those so we'll help with the strategy but as a whole ABM now is becoming becoming I mean, more and more uh, relevant in all of the companies that we work with um, and everything that you do. Everything is account based marketing in my opinion. It's not just a, a new methodology. It's actually marketing as a whole is account based. There's always an aspect of it. That's right.
0: Yeah. Are there any specific segment of companies that are more pro towards ABM or are there Legards for example the traditional let's say oil and gas kind of companies right so are they also investing on ABM or they're still doing a field sales and lead-based marketing?
1: I, I think you know within this region for sure and um, a lot of it is is still revert, referral based relationship managed experience and knowledge so you might only buy something like you know some of our clients they'll only know a certain name and so they'll only use that name if that makes sense mm. Um, whether, whether there's competitors or I'm not, it's just that they're so used to going down that, that avenue, whereas I would say account-based marketing or even just getting targeted account, I think it's, it's definitely B2B, you know, B2C don't particularly need to go that way. But for actual industries, I would I would say it's relatively level playing, but some of them top more, so for example, again, with, with technology, healthcare, real estate, these are all ABN companies, you know, they're, okay. they all, in the health and le- leisure and consumables, they all do ABF because you all want those big hitters, right? Every, every salesperson has got a Forbes 500 list that they want to, you know, go mm-hmm. and go after, mm. and we need to make sure that they're going after a relevant target. That
0: makes sense. I want to see what type of ABM programs are you executing? If executing for your clients, right? Is it like more a one-to-one, one-to-few, or a programmatic type of ABM campaigns? Largely,
1: largely, I would say it's it's one-to-few. But I, yeah, no, I'd I'd say one-to-few. But we we are a we're a bespoke agency also. So mm-hmm. a lot of the times when clients come to us, and and again, any marketing campaign that we work on, the majority of the time, we insist on speaking to sales as well. Because I need to make sure that they're aligned, and that and that campaign kind of is going to be picked up and taken with the sales. So if the sales say, "I'm only interested in speaking to the CEO of this business," well, one to many doesn't work. You know, that we might as well do a very concentrated campaign and create multiple footholds within one company. You know, that doesn't mm-hmm. that makes more sense. Whereas I think you try and get more bang for your buck, it depends what your budgets are. So I would say it's definitely going a lot closer to one-to-one, to one to one to few now. But we will always do an integrated marketing campaign. We're going to work over a series of months with people because relationships... Gone are the days that you pick up the phone oh you're interested sign the deal here you know people want to be nurtured and felt respected and that they're not just being contacted because they're the CIO of a certain business they actually want to know that you care and and, and I think what's happened in the world in the last three years is that people caring and actually wanting to be human to human now is a lot more important Mm. than just quickly phoning and go I need to hit my targets I need to make my Sales that's felt on the other side as the person buy it. So I think one to one and one to few is a, is a lot better way of doing that because you can approach it. You're really listening to the market and you're listening to them, which it isn't that kind of let's just get as much out there as possible and hope somebody buys something from us. To so
0: no more spray and pray.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a polite way of putting it.
0: And in your experience, how long does this? conversation take before you launch the campaign or get the campaign out so the discussions the research and, and whatever initial conversation with sales and things like that right so how long does it take before you get the campaign out and then what is the duration of the campaign the abm campaign itself is it like perpetual or you do it like i know there's there's going to be a lot of client specific context but again largely i want to understand how you're approaching
1: so i i would say on the whole we uh, we like to a we've got to make sure that we understand what the client is looking for and then b once we have a target account list for example and all the target criteria audience one of the first things that we do is a feasibility study so i won't just create a campaign and then execute it we actually make sure that it's feasible to say that there's a totally adjustable market out there so that depending on the list that could be you know a couple of weeks of of research just to make sure that it's a relevant campaign and we're very transparent with our with our clients, if I don't think a campaign is going to work, we won't take it on. Once you've either, if you're if you're reutilizing content, then that obviously reduces time. So we just got to make sure it's relative but i think from from concepts and strategy planning all the way to execution you can be up and running within one month to six weeks and depending on the outcomes that we need to achieve you could be you know getting getting meetings or demos or, or what the outcome roi needs to be by week 12 week 13. so we always try and make things in quarters because then it's a lot more I mean strategic for marketing you need to have a sale with brain you know you need to say well I'm going to do this now Q1 when is that actually going to land and become a revenue and off my target well it's not going to be until Q3 Q4 so we make sure that we plan our our activities around that as well so if I start a campaign at the end of Q2 I will say to the client this isn't going to be a a turner or a a, you know an income creator until the the, the following quarter or at least further so I, I would say we always work on a three-month, 13-week period.
0: That makes sense. And how do you determine whether this particular campaign that you're designing, based on the, the inputs that you've received, would work or not? You said in some cases you would go and then say this is not going to work, right? So are there any criteria, are there any checklists that you like run through and then figure out, okay, this is something that's practical, workable, not workable?
1: We've got a few ways, to be honest with you. I mean, we're, we're very blessed because a um, we've been in this region and islands out of globally for a long time and we have over 40 clients that we work with and target account lists are not exhaustive you know the it doesn't matter who you are or what industry you're working for there are a top 100 companies in each region and because when a we're working against over 40 clients so we've already got intel and insight into that community and that's something that we pride ourselves on and is we will be able to say instantly we've already got background intel on these businesses the, the next one would be mm-hmm. well what is your content a lot of the companies who are not in this region or other regions and they're trying to inf- infiltrate or um really kind of get in there and start selling they might be going about it completely the wrong way for example we had a client who is us-based does not have a, a team in the Middle East and they wanted to go into Ksa with a cloud-based product well automatically I can advise them that unless they they have a data center within the KSA region that's going to be a very very tough set so we helped them to design which they had some different products that they could sell mm-hmm. we actually said right start patching it to 2030 vision start going to get down governance why don't we look at financial and we actually really shrunk down what they were looking for specific on that region and they had an 80% success rate from a very low number which was which was fantastic mm-hmm. because otherwise they just think they can go into a region or a solution is going to be received just because this is what i've got let's go. like we actually work the community back to the client i don't just research the client what their solution is and start sending stuff out we actually have a community of c-levels a community of influencers who we talk to on a regular basis share this data and information of our clients and then when something is relevant they will then pick it up so we're actually listening from the ground upwards, which is a big support for our clients and actually quite a niche thing for the marketing agencies around these regions. That makes perfect sense.
0: Are there any specific or favourite campaign, ABM campaign of yours that would like to walk through. Maybe that has happened in the recent past. All
1: of them are quite fun to do, to be honest with you. They I mean some some are very tough, I'm not gonna lie. Some of our clients' products are incredibly hard to to, to land with the market due to the complexity of it. But actually that makes it more the achievable when they're successful. Um, but we've we've had a couple quite recently that we've done where it's been more integrated to be honest with you. So we've raised awareness through publication campaigns, you know, got the local sales team on, on on the front covers of magazines um, and worked it that way. Mm-hmm. And then alongside that, we will be doing a demand generation campaign of sending out relevant content, engaging with their audience. And then at the end of it, we invite them all for an event. Mm. And, and this is actually something that we do quite often. And we are very, very successful on getting those people sat on the seats to listen to the direct audience because they've had this preamble of information and awareness and advertising around them before they sit down right. and, uh, and i would say that that's that's a lot of our campaigns i wouldn't say any in particular i won't i won't name a, a certain client and sure. <laughs> say that they're my favorite but i think that my favorite abm campaigns are actually the hardest ones and when when they're more achievable and it's such a an accolade to my team and add to my business
0: right What channels do you typically use? I think you touched upon advertising, you also touched upon event and I have some specific questions around event itself. Do you use a lot of email campaigns and uh, what other touch points do you basically try and provide as part of the ABM?
1: We, we, various to be honest with you it is it is multiple uh so yes i mean di- digital is now a, a very broad term these days okay. so we will do publication uh, you know industry specific or uh job title specific so we're able mm-hmm. to to create you know, noise in the market um and get the face of people mm-hmm. out there we do social social media marketing mm-hmm. is another way to to just create instant connections and relationships we do do email marketing but but there has to be a plan behind it right. to be honest with you I'm sure like yourself and, and anybody else who has an inbox it's not always a relative way of marketing because just uh, like you say just the, the spray and pray of getting emails out to everybody means you know nothing like it's you need to make sure that there's context and, and that person wants to receive it because if I'm receiving information in a way that I don't want you to that's automatically you know create an opinion of your business so that's right. we'll do email marketing we do telemarketing um, but we do I don't even call it that we call it we call them a, um, account intelligence campaigns because mm-hmm. what we're doing is finding out pain points to see if solutions fit if we're phoning and saying mm-hmm. you know buy my product it, it just doesn't work right. so i would yeah we have we have various and i like, you just say like we do events also we can do them standalone we can integrate them um mm-hmm. and we also do antenna marketing as well so we listen to the, the the incoming voices of the individuals who are out there so then we're able to create a target account list. some companies don't have target account list. Mm. they don't they don't even know when to start. The sales people are so no. busy trying to win that contract, they don't no. know who to target. So when you start seeing the trends and the different intents that people are looking for, you can approach them with relevant information, which I think is the key to all of it, to be honest. But there are at least five or six touchpoints that we'll do in a campaign to ensure that somebody is, is a relevant outcome.
0: That's interesting. So one question on the alignment, sales marketing alignment, you touched upon it. How do you keep that enablement going on? It's not just about like working with sales initially, identifying the target accounts, but also making sure they're part of the process, right? So is the campaign structured? What are the different strategies that you use to make sure that both the teams are actually working in tandem and the whole goal is to basically do the outcome, get the outcome from the target audience and not just going in silos, right? How do you enable sales marketing alignment?
1: Yeah, that's that's a very good question. Actually, it's, it's something that we pride ourselves on. As an agency as well, we have to keep two parties happy a, because we're a marketing agency the majority of the time we're working with a marketing director or the marketing company right and uh, handpated like managers sorry but something that we've always said is that we need to have the sales buy-in. at the at the end of the day gone are the days where there are no targets on anyone's head And right. uh, sale used to be the only people with targets on their head and, and marketing would have a budget these days there are targets on both heads so whenever we start a campaign I will speak to and, and get the brief from the marketing individual, but then I will ask for a conversation with the sales team and we end up, I, I will just listen as to what they're actually looking for. And something that we pride ourselves on is that we're very good at then merging those two aspects because mm-hmm. a marketing view and a sales view sometimes can be very, very different. And you could end up with two battling, you know, well, I want this, well, I want this. And as an agency in between, we need to make sure we're we're helping bridge that gap. So we will constantly be asking for feedback from sales, asking for feedback from from marketing, bringing it in-house, and then making sure they're engaging. If sales are not engaged from, from the start of a campaign, or they don't have knowledge of what the campaign is, then they are not going to pick up and do anything with the leads that you're creating. Like it is of no, it's it will just be more spam into their inbox theoretically like it's right. that's not what I'm looking for you have it, it and then it goes to the they don't feel heard they don't feel like they're being supported so then they'll just carry on mm. with their own way and that's the same way as need generation you know the, the audience that you're speaking to will will not feel heard if you're not actually listening to what they're asking for you to do so when you're generating that information and trying to market to them you need to make sure that you're hearing them so sales and enable for us is is imperative to every campaign that we do because we need to have that we're we're predominantly an ROI agency and if I achieve an ROI for a business then you're going to come back and work with me more and more and the ROI sits in sales it very rarely sits in marketing the ROI on marketing will always be some some kind of sale so it still goes to sales and we need to make sure that we have that correlation at all times
0: okay so you sort of are the middleman to make sure sure you broker because the sales marketing friction I think it's it's a universal thing right so and then for you to bring them to the same table and then work towards a common goal this is basically you seem to be driving that right so does that happen all the time so you're, you're fairly successful yeah in, in most of the programs
1: oh yeah we we're, were very successful actually and I and I would say that's become that's come from trial and error and a lot of coffees mm-hmm. counselling sessions sometimes I would say because we really do need to hear both sides like what is your frustration right. and we, we always say that you know we are here to remove frustrations and being a third party it can actually be a, an immense help to both sides because we're not stuck in the thick of it mm-hmm. we can actually say to them that you're both actually going with the same goal let us just be the one who helps you do that and and that helps a lot Mm -hmm. it's it's like they there's no hierarchy when they talk to us they either side can say well i don't like this and i want to do this but when they're talking Mm -hmm. to each other they sometimes think that they can't do that so it's, it's actually important that we hear both sides of the story in that kind of relation and we have other teams that they're an absolute dream, you know. Sales and marketing have created the best relationship, and mm-hmm. and I think it's 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 changing a lot because marketing now it it is it is sales, you know. There is a hundred percent sales involved in marketing, you know. It's not just creative and awareness anymore. There there is sales in that, and if you've got that, right. you know, quick collegions between the two, mm. then it's it's a dream to work with them.
0: Yeah, that is a dream set up to, to work with. And I think everybody can flourish. Uh, switching to event marketing, I think we've touched upon this, right? So so that I think physical events are back maybe the last year or so, post the pandemic, right? Do you fundamentally see a lot of difference between how we were able to engage your audience through maybe digital events when we were not allowed to go out versus now, right? So how has that change helped and uh, to what extent? Um,
1: it's been quite a big change actually to be honest with you and 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 i'd say that there's positives and negatives to to both sides a bit so obviously yes like you like you took on for the digital we we were very lucky that we were already changing to digital events so everybody was on digital they had to generate leads and and get awareness out there there was there was no other choice but to be on webinars you know it's and then they started removing the names webinars and calling them fire chats and you know it's the same same thing with a different label on it when physical event came back in This region specifically, it was fantastic for a start. You know, everybody. It's probably mm. much a, a personable region, human to human. They want to have a chat. Um, but what was good of, of physical events and digital infrastructure being in place is that that now meant that we could do hybrid. And we've now been actually doing quite a lot of physical events with the hybrid element, which means that mm. you, you can actually get a bigger audience. So you can have your physical people within, you know, Dubai, but people who don't have time to fly over. It, etc can come from all regions onto a a platform digital platform just to see it and partaking it and they don't have to go anywhere so that's reducing time stress and everything but they can get more out of it which is great however on the flip side of that is that once somebody learns it's a hybrid event they might not want to go to the physical event even if they're in the the same region so sometimes you find that it's harder to fill a physical event if they know that they can just go online i mean people's diaries now have tripled in size because it's believed the productivity you know has become a lot more I mean I can do 30 meetings in a day versus 10 meetings a day when i had to get in my car and drive around so this it's the same for an individual right. if they've got to go to a physical meet event that's that's half a day out of their diary so they've really got to be invested in to go there travel there go there if I can just go online then that's a lot easier so we're kind of more now looking at what event do you want to do? Again, what is the ROI? What's the kind of people that you want to get there, and can we retain and manage that registration? So, and we do all of it. We don't just hold right. the event; we actually do all the delegate acquisition also to make sure that the event is successful. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's a bespoke kind of process. But I would say it's amazing to now have more ways to do events. So, I, I would say it's a it's always more positive, but there can be negatives in it because mm-hmm. people just say, "Well, I'm too busy." I've and and everyone's trying to do events right you know everybody's trying to get there right. you need to align diaries you need to check that nobody else is doing things so I think now more people are doing big ticket events so your industry specific quarterly um, huge events that they know that they can do a one hit wonder on, on certain individuals and then they'll do smaller um, more sea level and concentrated events with the sales team and from a budget perspective you could probably get the same outcome for a lot less mm-hmm. of those, those things and then throw some digital so I actually quite like now that you can have a mix of all of it. People steered away from digital all the time before COVID happened. You know, it, it was it was not beneficial because they felt you had to be in the room. So what we right. always say is it isn't about the event. It's about what you're doing before and what you do after. The actual way you're delivering the content right. isn't always the key message. You need to, if you're nurturing a relationship with an individual through an ABM campaign, so you've already had six different touch points in a quarter before, mm-hmm. They're more likely to attend an event and then they're more likely to turn into a sale to just have an event as your sole conversion, that's where you might struggle. So we always try and bolt on everything around it to make sure that there's an integrated campaign there.
0: That makes sense. Uh, you attend a lot of events and you host and, and I think your LinkedIn is filled with a lot of activities around that, right? So what are your advisors for somebody who's attending these events, taking the time to be there? How should they maximize from that investment and time that they're spending?
1: So so being actual stand at the events? Right. For me, it's raising awareness that you're going to be there. Um, that, that's essential. I also believe that you need to make sure that the audience, you know who's going there. So how you can always see who's going to these big events or the small events. So right. if you're going to be there, maximize your opportunity by folding cast off events also. So dinners, breakfasts. Try and get your audience in one room, but also make make sure people are aware that you're there. Shout, scream, make noise. It's it's not about giving away stress balls on the stand. Mm. It's about making sure that people know you th- know that you're there, or that you can do something with that audience. Because sometimes you know the salespeople could just wait for opportunities to walk past their stand. That doesn't work. You know you need to make sure that you're speaking to somebody. Right and as soon as you hear that they're going to be at the event get them involved you know you know you could get big people throwing case studies in your business to come and do some talks on your stand. you know there's interactive demos there's there's ways that you can actually draw activity to the stand and then retaining the people there but also it's not just an advertising exercise you need to make sure that yes you're seen that but do something sensible around it, the thing so that we'll end up doing a lot of dinners a lot of breakfast briefings because then you can kind of just block out the noise of all the other events that are going on mm-hmm. to to draw in your cracking a little bit but then you're seen within the masses so it's kind of a right double-edged sport you want to be there but it's, it's tough and i mean i've i've been to jitex or, or the bigger bands and people want to see me let's book in time but as soon as you walk past one stand you you get drawn in by to chat to them and it's hard to book a diary out oh. So it's more about making sure that you're driving the traffic to your stand, you know, get some interactive games going on, you know, but all to do with your content. Ask them to come and do some panel talks and then you actually get people on your stand and then you've engaged with them.
0: Let's just switch gears, the favorite topic, right? All the marketers, so GPT, generative AI. What's your view on it? Are you pro? Have you started to use your campaigns in your workflows?
1: um it's i mean obviously it's a it's a very very big topic here and i'm pro to be honest with you i love anything a that makes makes a job easier or can make something more effective obviously it will reduce workflows it will reduce staff it would reduce job descriptions per se Mm -hmm. and i think that's a big worry in this kind of campaign but then for an agency we just switch gears and 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 utilize that rather than saying oh that's that's replaced the service that we did anyway can't believe how far it's come in what we are in five months you know it's Mm -hmm. to me just shows the fast-paced technology world and I'm of the age where I remember that my computer was the same size as my desk you know it's it's and then when you left home we left work you left work like now it's I'm seeing all the technology that it can help you do it it can generate so much that it's actually making people more productive with less work. So I, I am I am quite pro. Right. I, I think you always need to have. Uh, individual element because what I am concerned about is that somebody will rely so heavily on it, what if there is that ditch you know, and you've put out content that is just garbage Mm. there needs to be quality control really, quality assurance, quality control and I think what could happen is that certain generations perhaps could get a bit lazy and use these tools a bit too much, so I think it's all within, Mm. you know, as long as you do it in increments or or you do it here and there, I'm all for it, but it changes. And, and if you, as a business, adhere to these changes and take them on board, you know, they'll either work for you or they won't. And, and me, as an agency, we adapt to the times. So if you don't adapt to the times these days, you're going to sink. And we're just showing now how quickly those times are changing. And I think it's more exciting. You know, we're actually working on metaverse platforms ourselves. We're working on, you know, partnerships of the VR mm. and experiences. And, and these mm. are all things that will change marketing, but also say and, and we're very excited to, to actually be part of that journey rather than, you know, oh, no, you know, it's, it, it is for the pro. I think some people get a bit too scared of it. And I think that's just because of the speed. And it's a bit like anything. It's it's proven. You need to see what happens as it's going along. And if, if issues will arise, I mean, how many updates do we get on iPhones these days? Because there's a bug or there's an error fix. Or, you know, there used to be one a year. I get one a month now. And, and I think that's going to be the same way as Chat ChatGBT. Like, as as it people use it more, they're going to start using... You know, it will change with the time. So it will actually and to adapt to how we need it to adapt versus to us adapt to what it does. And I think that's the better way of using the AI AI is never gonna tell us what to do, I hope. Um it is gonna learn from our behaviors right. and e- emphasize them more than you know, change the change the actual behavior.
0: Sure. So you talked about metaverse. What are some specific use cases that you're trying? Is it more B2B, B2C kind of I'm, I'm sure you're running pilots and stuff?
1: We are predominantly B2B, but what we have is I mean so, so VR VR is the, the vehicle that we use, mm-hmm. um but we have a number of so we actually have a platform that we design bespoke platforms for the clients and then they'll be used at the events, or actually you can send them out by a sales name for in-headset conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, So we actually do this for for a multitude of things. Sometimes because we sell cyber security there's not particularly a tangible project so what they like to do is actually they they can show virtual tours of a data centre because data centres are also locked down. You're not allowed to go to a lot of data centres because of the security risks. So we've got people walking through. You can go into a data center and see what it is so where it all is and mm-hmm. you can see the thing you can try it like the try before you buy you can get that feel and also if you want to speak to somebody in a completely different region we're doing we're designing that so you'll actually be in reality with that and you're having more of a face-to-face conversation and 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 just with a gimmicky kind of world and on the flip side of that we we, we also have some businesses who are going to be able to soon have and actual fixes that can just be picked up from the metaverse and applied to somebody's network which is never used when you used to have to travel with the server for example to that location and then do the patch kit what's going to happen in in a not too distant future is that you would just pick it up from the from the metaverse and then you could apply the security solution to your network so there's there's lots going on but for us mainly we don't there's the gimmicky on the stand you know you can go and play the play the games but what we want it to be is more about learning about how products work um, and being actually immersed into it rather than just the signature on a piece of paper.
0: Very interesting. It's good. I think metrics of what we saw in the 90s, I think it's just coming back in small parts, I guess. It, it's, it's,
1: it's, it is all coming true, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Excellent. So thank you so much for taking time and talking to me morning, Amy. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, how should people reach out to you? your organization anything that you wanted to share please go ahead and then share
1: yeah please do So thank you very much for your time it's, it's been a pleasure talking about this and you know this is a, a topic that I'm very enthused about and actually it's it's something that runs all of our business right. you know if we didn't have target accounts then we wouldn't have a business in the first place. I love talking to people and, and chatting through ideas hmm. so please reach out to me on, on LinkedIn or directly through our, our website and I would happily you know have a chat with you and, and take things further and we've got case studies if you want to know what we do. But yeah, it's been great. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you, Amy. You are listening to the ABM Voice podcast. This show is produced by Recotab, edited by Hanfus Bucker, mixing by Kelku Productions. If you have questions or feedback, write to us at podcast at recotab.com Until next time, this is your host Arun signing off. Thank you.